Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. During this season of Lent, we're focusing on the Passions by Bach, as well as some of the more Lent-focused movements from the Mass in B minor. And today, we are looking at a moment from the St. John Passion, from the soprano aria, Ich folge dir gleichfalls. Over the course of the events near the beginning of the account of Jesus's death in the book of John that Bach is setting to music in the St. John Passion, Jesus is getting arrested. His disciple Simon Peter tries to defend him, and he had a sword and took it out and attacks the servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. And then says that if this is the fate that my father gave me, then so be it. The cup which my father gave me, shall I not drink it? This is answered by a reflective chorale about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is arrested. A few minutes later, we have, after another aria, we have a short line from the evangelist. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And this kind of seems a little bit unremarkable, but in Bach's way, he chose this or the librettists, they chose this moment to expound into an entire aria, an entire solo with its own mood. And that within that aria is today's moment that we will focus on. It is the Ich folge dir gleichfalls aria. For the soprano, two flutists playing in unison, which is its own particular interesting sound. Ich folge dir gleichfalls mit Freude. 
two Baroque flutes playing the same part. It's a really fast thing. It seemed like it should be. Seemed like it would be much easier if it was just one. But yeah, and I don't. It's, it's not marked either way on here. I, I think that's a choice that Netherlands Bach Society made. I think it is. It doesn't say the manuscript, Alex. It doesn't say solo flute. In fact, it doesn't say any instrument names. This is pretty typical. Sometimes Bach doesn't. He didn't really al- specify. He wasn't always that specific. In the Mass in B minor, Benedictus, he forgot to write which instrument. Right, and was. Some, there's some recordings of that that are flute, some that are violin. Yeah. This one, uh, the Urtex does say two flutes in unison, but because uh, it's not on here. I'm not positive what the general consensus is on that, although usually I do hear it with, with two. But this, this is a reprieve. Alex, last week you introduced the St. John Passion. You introduced its introduction. Yeah. And its first long, big, powerful introduction as one of great torment and sadness that really sets the mood for the entire thing. But we also discussed how in the Baroque style, each part of something or each musical movement for as long as it runs from the beginning to the end for like however many minutes it is is one mood and we call this in academia we call this the affect with an a not not with an e but affect not effect it comes from a german word affect and we just we decided that it is much like saying that a piece has just one particular mood or tone or vibe that's true of all Baroque composers. It's not just a thing with Bach. But this one here, it has one mood, and that is a nice contrast, a nice break from the rest of everything. The words are, I too follow you with joyful steps and will not let you go. My life, my light, show me the way and do not cease to push me, to pull me, to encourage me. The speaker is uh, is us, right, Alex? The speaker is the the person. It's just a. A human person, follower of Christ. Right. I follow a disciple. A and disciple. You, you put yourself in those shoes in this aria, right? Yeah, shoes because figuratively, yeah, yeah. And and the footsteps are what is being musically depicted here, which is really nice. Today, I think it, I thought it would be fun since Alex doesn't know the moment I have chosen yet to just see if he can figure it out. So let's have Alex listen to it and let's see if he can he can figure out where it is. All right, here we go. Whoa! And was that it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I thought you might guess it. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with this one, and I had forgotten that 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 cool little chromatic lick on the soprano part there. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to look at that in the score now here and see if I can find it. So I, I cut to where he found it, but we did listen from the beginning. And sure enough, uh, Alex did guess the moment 
that I chose because it is so strange and brilliant. And I just love stuff like this because it's clear that Bach could have just ended this kind of, this cadence that just happens in the middle here. He didn't have to do that cool thing there. This is just the way his mind worked. He, he always was looking for something interesting to change in the music. It's such a refreshing thing to listen to Bach and to notice these things. Mm -hmm. so let's see what's going on there. Yep, this is soprano soloist Miriam Arbu. She gets to sing it again one more time later in the aria, but lower in pitch. Bach, the composer, is looking at this text with an eye for how to musically push and pull certain words, as you often do, setting music to the text. How can you really push and pull the words, or the music, to attach to the words? How can you really make that, make that work? And in this aria, I think it's pretty self-explanatory what he was supposed to do. I too follow thee with joyful steps, that explains the introduction and the beginning, and will not let you go, my life, my light. And then the next section, show me the way and do not cease to push me, to pull me, to encourage me. Perfect musical metaphor there, the couple of different ways that Bach handles it. The first time those words are said, the pushing and pulling, we go way up, we go way down. Hmm. Up and down. And then we have my moment of the day on the word to pull me, hmm. to pull, as we get pulled up and up and up. Almost, almost like a stretch, right? This, this is almost, this almost feels to me like a muscle stretch, like yeah. what, what it feels like to go a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more, because just musically going up and down a scale produces a sound that just you know, maybe joyfully going up and sadly going down or something like that, but to do so chromatically, which is using all of the all of the notes in the smallest possible space is just so much more stretchy, I guess. I yeah. don't really know how else to say it. It's interesting that both of our uh, moments were chromatic things and mm. kind of speaks to this this larger work. A lot of the portrayal of this and the serious nature of it comes from the chromatic alterations that are happening in some of this work. Even in this aria, which is on the whole much happier than the rest of the passion even talks about joyful steps but it fits in because of this chromatic this chromatic stuff is not out of place yeah it's surprising and when i 
listened to it, I definitely immediately decided that that would be what I wanted to talk about today, but it fits perfectly into the greater whole because the text is saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, joyfully. Show me the way and do not cease to push me and pull me and encourage me. And we've just heard. Yes, we've, we've heard about that Simon Peter and the other disciple just started walking with him. But we also heard before that that in order to fulfill the scriptures, he had to be arrested and he would need to go on and die. So even, even the way, that had, the thing that had to happen, the, his path was dark and difficult. And so we are, we are also supposed to, or I, the speaker of this aria, is supposed to follow him. Yeah, and not only that, but these things have to happen in an ordained way because they were literally prophesied, right? I mean, the idea of prophecy as a storytelling device is very strong, and I think that comes from these biblical accounts. This, this, this whole passion story is full of, like, Jesus did this because it was foretold in the scriptures that he would, and Jesus knew very well that he had to do those things because, you know, Christians would say, Jesus is God, so he... He actually, he, and he is the word, right? So he did write the scriptures through the hands of, of the people that actually wrote them down on the page. But, you know, God is the author of scripture. And so, of course, he knew what needed to happen. He knew what he had to do. Plus, in, yeah. in, in a human sense, he was Jewish. So he knew his religious he texts. Knew his Torah. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's true. And, and then, uh, well, another thing I like about the talking about that disciple that followed another disciple, right? If you go on after this aria, it talks about that that disciple was known to the high priest. Went in with Jesus, right, when he was arrested. But Peter stood outside. And then this disciple went out there to go get him, basically. And it, I mean, it makes sense. A lot of times we, we look at Peter in this story, right? We've talked about this before. We kind of accuse him of being uh, cowardly because he denies it. And he's about to do so in this story, right? He's about to deny Jesus again. Er sprach, ich bin's nicht. But think about it. He was hot-headed and cut off that guy's ear. Well, that was the that was the chief priest's servant that he cut up, whose ear he cut off. Of course, he doesn't want to go into the chief priest's hall right now, yeah. you know. And but the other disciple leads him in there. So there's two ways to think about that. One is if we're going with this uh, this sort of symbolic thing where this other disciple is is us, then maybe we need to like lead other people toward the things that they should do the right thing. And the other thing about it is too is that this might be John himself. This might be who this is. John liked mm -hmm. to talk about himself in this way without naming himself in the text. And later on, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is always really interesting to me, but it like in the sense that he just didn't want to he didn't want to name himself, but it I think it's pretty well thought that that is him talking about himself there. Yeah, so it makes sense. It it gives a whole new depth to the whole entire narrative what the evangelist says because that's all John's words mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also the stand-in for uh, for anyone for any of us is so powerful because the aria tells us 
show me the way. Push me and pull me and encourage me. I will not let you go. It's like a prom. It's almost like a promise. I will follow you. But then we see minutes later we we screwed that up because Peter has that famous denial where he acts like he has nothing to do with Jesus, which is a really seems like a really horrible thing. But as you said, Alex, he it was very understandable that he would want that he would want to distance himself for a second. Yeah. So it's it's both. It's that we should do like in our lives we should follow him with joyful steps but also this passion story shows us that we fail at that too and that's part of it that's part of the whole thing is messing up and not not doing this correctly because we're human beings yeah and one of my favorite things and this is pertinent here because this is the saint john passion one of my favorite things that occurs in the gospel of john is that after peter does this and he denies christ three times what happens after Christ's resurrection, again, spoiler alert, okay, it doesn't happen in uh, St. John Passion, but later in the book of John and in, in these gospels accounts, right, Jesus is risen from the dead, just as was prophesied, and he is walking with the disciples, and he asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know that I love you, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he says it again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I know it. You know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he said it again. And it even says Peter was hurt because Jesus has asked him three times. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Right? Take care of my disciples. Take care of my people. But this, um, this parallels the three denials. Yep. So in a way, Jesus, we know that Jesus forgave that sin. And in a way, he sort of, as, as well as forgiving that sin, he sort of reinstates Peter as a disciple. Who can then continue literally or metaphorically following him with joyful steps. Yeah, to push him, to pull him, to encourage him. And that's exactly what Christ does in that, in those next few verses after that resurrection and then after that story. And then, of course, embedded in the aria also that we've already, we've already said the translation is this sort of promise that I, w- I will not let you go, which is, I think, in a way, what a performance of the St. John Passion is. It's an entire journey through this story, and in, in making that journey and listening to all this music, we are learning all this stuff kind of anew because of the music and holding on to it. It's a instructional piece of artwork. It's not just art for art's sake. It is for the edification of your faith. That's part of what this is for. And it might be experienced Nowadays, it might be experienced in myriad ways. It might be experienced simply as a piece of art, just like any piece of classical music would be analyzed as a product of its time, as a product of Bach's Lutheran upbringing, but, but maybe not as much as what it was intended for, which was to be 
instructional as well as artistic. Yeah, and I, and I think that the very seriousness in which it was composed as part of this sort of faith tradition is why it is one of the highest forms of art still, regardless of, of who listens to it. It had to be it had to be crafted in that crucible for it to come out as something this sturdy and strong, even if you just appreciate it as beautiful thematic music. And now, here is that chromatic moment from the soprano aria, Ich folge dir gleichfalls. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the St. John Passion, please see the link in the episode description to see its performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. So Alex, the last few weeks have been a lot of this deeply religious choral music and also uh, very intense themes of Christ's death. This is, of course, because we are going with, this is a Bach podcast, so we're going with a calendar that Bach would have lived his life by, which is the church calendar, and we're in Lent right now. So, Alex, what's next week? Next week is Holy Week, and so that will be our last episode to release before Easter. So our last episode on the Lent themes. And for that, we will take a look at the Crucifixus movement from the Mass in B minor. Until next time, enjoy those moments.